I always think before someone starts speaking, it's just good to know a little bit about them. Um, Neil's given you a little potted history um, into some of my story. I've been five years now working with um, Elim at um, Elim's base down in Malvern. Uh, I have this grand title of Principal of Regents Theological College, but my heart really is just to equip people for the good news uh, of Jesus, to carry, to take the good news of Jesus wherever it is that God has called them to. And, and for most of my working life was working um, with Youth for Christ as um, you could say an evangelist, a mission enabler, somebody who, who sought to pour fuel on other people's fires and help them do whatever it was that God had called them to. I'm married to Liz. Liz is a gynae specialist nurse. She's working in the Worcester um, area and we've got three children. My eldest son's 22. He um, currently living in Birmingham. My daughter is studying at Regents at the moment after spending a year last year in Cambodia. She's uh, 20 and then Solomon's 14 who kind of tries to keep me young but quickly makes me old as I try to run around the football pitch after him. So, uh, so that's a little bit about myself. I'm not going to spend ages talking about um, the, the college, but I am just going to say this. There is some information out of the back, you know, and, and some people think that actually a calling to ministry means giving everything up that you've been doing and, and starting something different. And, and for some people, that's true. But for others, it's just about adding some value to what you're already doing. How do I understand God better? How do I understand Scripture better? How do I um, learn some tools and skills and, and listen to great lecturers like Neil, who we borrow from your church from time to time? And uh, if you're interested in knowing more about that, please come and speak to me at the end. Um, I'd just love you to take one of these cards away and pray for us, actually, because... Um, this year, we're at a really exciting point in our journey. We're nearly 100 years old as a college. Um, but this year, starting in September, we think we're probably going to have the biggest intake we've had for many, many years. Uh, possibly over 100 students, new students, starting in September, which is incredible. And uh, I'd, I'd love you to maybe just stick one of these on your fridge and every time you see it, just pray. Pray for people that God is training and, and calling to mission and ministry and uh, we, we believe the good news of Jesus is so amazing. We've even got a performing arts and theology course so people can find creative ways to communicate the good news wherever it is that God has called them. I'm going to answer my question publicly that, that Neil asked. Uh, it was my dad, actually, that first introduced me to the gospel. I, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, I was a pastor's kid and probably went to church three times every Sunday before the age of, of six, seven, eight years old. And you kind of hear the message, but I remember my dad um, communicating that message to me clearly. And uh, when I was five years old, Easter Sunday, I knelt on my knees in the kitchen floor uh, with, with my mum uh, and me and my mum pray the prayer to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make a decision to follow. And then I got to high school, about 12, 11, 12, and realized following Jesus was harder than I thought because people weren't always going to agree with me. And when I stood up for certain things, that, that they might be challenged. And, and I remember, so whoever said Billy Graham, I'm going to associate with them as well. I remember going to Anfield in 1984, not to watch football, but to, um, to, to hear uh, Billy Graham articulate the gospel. And at the age of 12, I said, that decision I made when I was five, I really want to stick to it, even though I know it's going to be difficult. And I remember walking down on that pitch and making the decision to say, yeah, count me in to this following Jesus thing that we call Christianity. 
So we're going to talk about how we can be good news carriers. Last week, I listened on the way up just to kind of make sure I'd done my homework. Last week was all about carriers of culture. How can we shape culture as Christians, as kingdom living followers of Jesus? But this morning, we're thinking particularly about how we take or carry this good news message wherever we go. I've called it everyday evangelism or evangelism as a lifestyle. Because often that E word we kind of start to get a little bit worried about when people start to mention it in church, yeah? I'm not an evangelist, people will say, because we've got pictures of what we think evangelists look like. So here's the first one. You know, the, 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 the person, this is Franklin Graham, not Billy Graham, but I remember being in the Odyssey Arena in 2008 in, in Belfast, and, and Franklin Graham gave an appeal, and then there's a quietness, and all the seats start going... As thousands of people flood to the front. And, and maybe this morning you're thinking, yeah, that's just not me. <laughs> so I'm going to switch off because the evangelism thing is just not what I do. Or, or maybe you think of this picture of evangelism. You, you know, the, the kind of uh, over-enthusiastic street preacher. And I'm not putting them down because I've had a go myself. And, and actually, in some context, there's possibly a place for it. But there was a guy who got an ASBO recently for standing outside the shop in London with a megaphone. And uh, he says, don't be a sinner, be a winner. And he said it again and again and again for about three months till the local shop says, yeah, we don't want you here anymore. You, you know, there's a fine line maybe between evangelism and, and, and irritation. So, um, so, so maybe you don't associate with him or, or the, the third one. You know, somebody who knows the Bible so well and can answer every question. We call them apologists, you know. So all of those difficult questions that your friends ask you about faith and you think, I can't possibly answer those. I'm not one of these people who's got all of the answers to all of the questions or or maybe more recently, we've got this picture of an evangelist, you know, the kind of really creative communicators. This is a friend of mine. His name's Mark. Next month, he'll be up at the Edinburgh Festival, and he's got a one-man show, sto funny stories that he tells, communicating the gospel in a relevant way. But you think, yeah, I can't do that either. I'm not an evangelist. I can't sign up for this thing that we talk about when we say good news carriers or evangelists. So what we're going to do is look at uh, Corinthians together. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, you'll know that Paul wrote this letter and um, he, he's talking to Christians, the church is the followers of Christ, and he's trying to help them understand what their role, their purpose is as Christ followers. So without preaching through the whole of the book, and let me just kind of give you some potted history. Chapter 2, Paul starts to say, because you have been forgiven, because you've received this forgiveness, then we need to be people who pass that forgiveness on to others. Yes, yeah, so, so there's something that we need to model in the way we live our lives. And, and in chapter 2, Paul uses this brilliant picture of we are the aroma of Christ. Yeah? Have you ever traveled in the car when someone has had a shower? You, you know, and that kind of aroma starts to permeate the space, and you know that they haven't had a shower. But we're not that kind of aroma, but we carry the, the aroma, the freshness, the life of Christ wherever we go. Chapter 3 says that we are a letter about Christ to everyone that we come into contact with. A brilliant 
um, picture again. And then chapter 4, it says that even though our lives on this earth aren't permanent, and uh, he uses the, the picture of a jars of clay, even though our lives are permanent here, that we uh, are frail and, and our lives are momentary, yet we carry an eternal hope with us. And then we get to chapter 5, and I'm going to read chapter 5 from verse 11. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because it's easy for me to understand. Apologies if you're reading from another version. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope that you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring the glory of God. And if we're in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Indeed, or instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human perspective. At one time, we thought Christ was Uh, We thought of Christ from merely a human point of view. How different do we know him now? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors and God is making his appeal through us. What a wonderful challenge that is. And the first point I want to make is this, and it's already been talked about, that you and I, as Christ followers, as Jesus followers, have been given a mission to do. We've got a task. We've got a responsibility to pass on this message of good news. Verse 18, God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. So you may not class yourself as Billy Graham or Louis Palau or even Mother Teresa. You might, you might read the Bible and you might think when it gets to Ephesians and it says some are called to be apostles, some are called to be prophets, some are called to be evangelists. You go, phew, it's only some people. It's not me. You know, and you kind of think, oh, sigh of relief. But actually here, verse 18 Paul is saying to the believers, you have been given the task, the responsibility of reconciling people to yourself. Okay, Paul said that. What did Jesus say? John chapter 20, verse 21, he says this, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you, now go. There's a commission to go on each one of our lives. 
famous preacher and writer Rick Warren put it like this. It wasn't just a great commission. It wasn't just a great suggestion. It was a great commission. Every single one of us have been called to take the good news of Jesus. Maybe we're not all evangelists, but we are called to be witnesses to what God has done and is doing in our lives. How are you witnessing or reflecting what God is doing today? Jesus, when he was 12 years old, was in the temple and um, remember his parents had lost him and he was spending a bit of time in, in the temple talking to the chief priests and, and the Pharisees and his parents came back and what was his phrase? He says, I am about my father's business. Then his last breath on the cross, it is finished. Then just before he heads up to heaven, now go, I am sending you. Our responsibility to carry on the ministry of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, wherever we go. Neil alluded to the fact before that I spent 20 years as, I'd never used this phrase, I'm just using it to kind of make the point, as a professional evangelist. I was paid to tell people about Jesus. But I was continually um, put to shame by my wife. Now, my wife um, didn't get paid to tell people about Jesus, but she was just really good at it. And I would come home from work after kind of strategizing about how we were going to save the world for Jesus. And she'd share a story over the dinner table that would kind of make me feel like this big compared to the giants of her kind of witnessing endeavors. Let me tell you one story, and and we've only been living in Malvern for just over four years, and and, and the stories and stories of witnessing that that my wife has done, and she'd probably kill me for telling you this, but anyway. So she was in work about six months ago, and uh, this lady just says to her casually, I know you're a Christian, I've tried to read that Bible thing, but it doesn't make any sense. Just in the office, kind of. Now, if you know anything about the NHS, you don't have your own office, the open plan, and lots of people are in the space. So she turns to the lady and says, well, what version of the Bible have you been reading? And the lady says, what do you mean, version? Like, it's the Bible. So Liz pulls up kind of the the King James Version and starts reading from the Beatitudes because she thinks it'll be a nice kind of poetic place to read from. So she reads the first kind of few verses of Matthew chapter 5 and gets through a fair bit of it. And the lady says, yeah, that's it. Makes no sense at all. So then Liz kind of flicks through a Bible app, and she pulls up a different version, and she starts reading it a second time, by which time a few people have gathered in the space, you know? You could call it church, but no, you kind of, a few, few people are there. And she starts reading it a second time, and uh, lots more people are listening, and the lady's listening, and, and Liz doesn't really think about what she's doing, but it's a public reading of scripture in the office. So, so then she's, she has a brainwave and, and has an extra dose of confidence and thinks, I know, we're going to move from the kind of new living version. We're going to go for the message to really hammer it home. So she opens up the message part on the app and for a third time, she reads through um, the, the first part of the Beatitudes. Liz doesn't look up because she's got her head in a phone reading. But when she does look up, she sees the lady who initially asked the question in floods of tears. She says, I never knew the Bible said those kind of things. Then she looked up again and saw there was about 25 people <laughs> gathered around listening to the third reading of Scripture that morning. And, uh, and anyway, the, the story goes like this. The woman hasn't become a Christian. It's not one of those amazing success stories. But she turned to my wife a couple of weeks later and she says, I bought one of those Bibles, you know, the easy one that makes sense. 
It's pink. And I read it to my eight-year-old daughter every night before she goes to bed. You know, I don't think that this mission task that we've invited to is as difficult as we make it out to be. I think when we pay attention and when we're observant to what God is already doing in our spheres of influence, in our everyday world, all we need to do is be obedient and take the opportunities when they come. We've been tasked with a mission. The second thing is this, that if we're going to be effective witnesses for Christ, we can't do it in our own strength. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll know it well. You'll have read it many, many times. It says this, anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. What's the best way of you witnessing to the good news of Jesus anywhere and everywhere, in your family, in your community, in the queue at Tesco's, wherever you go in your workplace? The best way is to be transformed by the master himself. As we recognize Jesus changing us, people also recognize Jesus changing us, and it creates opportunities for conversation. I think we convince ourselves that if I go on the latest evangelism masterclass, I'll be a better witness for Jesus. And that's always a good thing to do. But Jesus does something slightly different. You might want to turn with me or just listen to Mark chapter 2, verse 35. This is what Jesus says in his evangelism strategic class. Before daybreak the next morning... Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went to find him. When they find him, they said, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. But Jesus replied, we must go to the other towns as well and preach to them too. This is why I have came. So they traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So often we focus on the second part of that passage they went to every town preaching and casting out demons and we forget to realize that the real power comes from spending time with Jesus if you want to be an effective witness if you want to mirror Jesus wherever you go spend time being in his presence allowing him to transform you when I worked for Youth for Christ, we used to run bands and touring teams, a little bit like the Message Trust do and other agencies. And uh, we'd have kind of 19, 20-year-olds who were brilliant musicians saying, I just want to, you know, kind of sing songs for Jesus. And my challenge to them always was before you sing a song, find out what your song is. In other words, what is God doing in your life before you try to declare it to others? Paul says it like this, we are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. But if we're honest with ourselves, whilst that has happened spiritually, practically speaking, there's a lot of old still pouring out of us. You know, those kind of habits, those reactions, those interactions, the way that we can be a little bit bitter when we could be a bit better. How are we allowing Jesus's presence to spill out of us in all that we do? 2 Corinthians 3 says this, and we all 
who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How is Jesus changing you? If you want to be a witness for him, you need to be transformed by him. Yes, we've put our hands up and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. But how are we following Jesus every day? How is he shaping us? How is he changing us to become the people he wants us to be? You know, there's an interesting thing in life. When you spend time with someone, you start to look like them. The longer you hang out with people, the more we reflect who they are. I just wonder how the life of Jesus is reflecting on your character, on your ways. Final one, on your purposes. You see, do people know that you've been hanging out with Jesus? Do people know on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, that person must have spent time in the presence of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, the early apostles are going out and declaring the good news. And somebody says this, they recognize them as people who had been with Jesus. What a wonderful compliment that would be. You've been recognized as somebody who has been with with Jesus. I wanted you to turn to the person next to you just for three or four minutes and answer this question. How are you being transformed by Jesus? What has he been doing in your life over the last couple of weeks, couple of months? How are your attitudes and habits and behaviors changing? How is the person of Jesus shining out of you in your everyday life? So how are you being transformed by Jesus. Turn to the person next to you, have a chat. If you want to be honest and say, do you know what? There's not much evidence. That's fine. So what difference is Jesus making in your life? That's the question. Yeah. Okay. Let's, um, let's bring our conversations back in. You see, the reality is this, that Sometimes, as Christ followers, Christians, we say one thing with our mouths, yeah? I, I want to be full of the joy of Christ, and yet we walk around with the grumpiest face you've ever seen. You know, we say, Jesus brings me peace, and yet we're the most anxious person that anybody's ever come across, we say that Jesus forgives and brings freedom, and yet we're still captive to a whole host of habits and behaviors that we just can't break or get through. We say that we're speakers of truth, and yet we're so confused about what the truth actually is. In, in police and forensic world, there's this, um, there's this concept that every contact leaves a trace. So if a forensic scientist goes into a crime scene and something's taken place in that area, they walk into that scene and they know that anybody who's been in that space will have left some type of trace. The question is, what evidence are they leaving behind? You know, wherever you go, whatever setting you find yourself in, every interaction, every relationship, every conversation leaves a trace. The question is, what evidence of the good news of Jesus are you leaving 
behind? Are you pointing someone to him or are you pointing somebody away from him? Are you a good witness to the life of Jesus or are you putting people off from following this Christ that we seek to follow? Every contact leaves a trace. Verse 19, just look with me in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, and I love this verse. It says, this is the wonderful message that has been given to us. We, included in everybody here in Salford this morning, we are Christ's ambassadors. We, you and I, get the privilege and responsibility to be carriers of the good news message of Jesus wherever we go. It's not just for the chosen few. It's not just for those who lead churches. We are Christ's ambassadors, and we get to take this good news with us wherever we go. Now, I want to say I know it's not as easy as we think. So I'm going to tell you two stories, one where it didn't go too well and one where it went a little bit better. So in my role as kind of um, evangelist, I decided to organize a mission for six schools in an area that I was working. We decided to bring this van, this vehicle. It was like a Eddie Stobart-sized kind of vehicle all the way up to the Wirral where I was working at the time. And sure enough, it wasn't Mr. Stobart himself, but one of his guys drove up the M6 motorway and it arrives in the high school. Now, the purpose of this van arriving in the high school was we were trying to tell people about Jesus. So when someone jumps out of the cab of the van and asks the question, what is this vehicle doing here and why have I driven it 200 miles um, to get to this school? That's a perfect opportunity to tell someone, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? They they might as well be saying, what must I do to be saved? Uh, It was a chance for me to say something. And as the professional evangelist, I remember saying something like this. Well, yeah, yeah. we're doing some lessons in schools. And I kicked myself. You know, as soon as it kind of came out my mouth, I'm thinking, I need to be a little bit better than that. So the guy said, are there any toilets nearby? So he went into the toilet. And as he went in, the caretaker of the school came out. And I was thinking, this time I'm going to get a little bit better. And he came over to me and he says, wow, this is a massive uh, kind of mobile classroom. What's it doing here in the school? And and honestly, in my head, I go, opportunity two. Right, here goes. But before I realized, something different was coming out of my mouth. It was like, RE lessons are a bit boring in schools these days, so we thought we'd spice them up a bit. You know, and I kind of said it, and I'm thinking, ugh. And then there was a third opportunity, and I just blew it again. It was slightly better than the first two, but, but not much. And this is the point I'm making that I'm meant to be somebody who is like paid to tell people about Jesus and I was rubbish and I still am and I still trip up and I still make mistakes. But it doesn't mean that I'm not trusted with this good news message. That God has given me and you and each one of us the chance. And just because sometimes we fall flat on our face or the letter doesn't read as nicely as the way Paul would have written it, we still get this brilliant privilege, this wonderful opportunity to carry the message. In a moment, we're just going to explore what this message is. But let me tell you one more story. I was in Uganda 
in uh, Central Africa a couple of years ago. And I spent some time out there doing some all sorts of projects, but had the privilege of going on Saturday morning to work with some Ugandan boxers. It was six o'clock in the morning, and I turned up to Kampala, to this muddy kind of square, and uh, I've been told I need to preach to them and tell them about Jesus. So I'm thinking, the best way to do it is to box with them first. So I put some boxing gloves on. I'm not a boxer. I've never boxed in my life, but I knew how to stand because I'd seen them do it on television. So I pulled these kind of sweaty, horrible boxing gloves on, and I stood there, and I picked the smallest guy. His name was Roger. He was about 17. He was tiny. And I thought to myself, this, this is going to be brilliant. You know, I'm going to look really good fighting Roger, an underage kind of 17-year-old Ugandan. Anyway, I, I stood there for about five seconds, pumping myself up. Before I'd seen anybody's hands move, I just felt my head going like this from side to side. I mean, like, he was brilliant. He was pounding me into the kind of the, 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 the dust on the floor. After 30 seconds, I threw the gloves on the floor and I, in disgust, said surrender or whatever it is you say in boxing and uh, sat down, got my breath back. Then I went over to Roger and I said this, Roger, compared to me, you're pretty good. But how good are you really? This is when I knew I'd been stitched up. He says to me in a kind of a broken English accent, I'm looking forward to representing Uganda in the Commonwealth Games in a few months' time. And I'm thinking, I didn't realize I was your sparring partner for the Commonwealth Games. So anyway, from that moment on, I want to see Roger step into the ring. I want to see him do his thing, you know, like against the proper boxer. Now he's been trained by me. He's going to be really good. And sure enough, Roger steps into the ring, and I'm watching it live on telly thinking it's going to be great. And he comes up against this Colombian guy who's a little bit bigger than him. And, and after 20 seconds, Roger takes a blow to his face that knocks him pretty much senseless. After two minutes, his Commonwealth Games is over. I haven't been back to Uganda, but if I did, and I was to hunt out Roger, and I'm going to find him, he'd be about 20 now, and he'd be a bit bigger, and I certainly wouldn't box him these days. But if I said, Roger, was it really worth it? Like, all of that effort and energy and training, all of that money to travel halfway around the world for, for two minutes in the Commonwealth game? Two minutes? I think he would be grinning from ear to ear. And he would be saying this, I got to represent my country for two minutes in the Commonwealth Games. Guys, I don't think we understand that you and I don't just get two minutes or two weeks or two years or 20 years. We get a lifetime to represent the creator of the universe every single day of our lives. We're trusted with a message. We are the messengers, the, the ambassadors of Christ himself. And we carry him with us wherever we go. When we're flat on our face and when things are going well, we're carrying the message, the good news message of Jesus. So my challenge to you this morning is what kind of carrier are you? And what kind of message are you carrying? Well, just to kind of bring this together, five minutes, let me just explain, what is this good news we get to carry? Well, you see, Paul in the New Testament talks about three types of Gospels. 
The first type of gospel is, is this one, and it's particularly referenced when he's talking to the Corinthians, and, and, and James, when he's writing his letter, talks about it. And it's the gospel that, that kind of says this, do what you want. Because Jesus has saved us and grace is available, you can live life however you want because actually we're going to be forgiven and we're going to go to heaven at the end. And Paul speaks against that and says, listen, grace is there for us, absolutely. Forgiveness is right, but it doesn't mean you can do what you like. It's not just a get-out-of-jail card for when we go to heaven. It has something to do with our lives here on this earth. And Paul speaks against that quite strongly. But then there's this second kind of dominant gospel that has crept into the church, which is like, do it yourself. Like, if, if I follow God well enough and I pray hard enough, you know, the Pharisees would follow the 613 laws, you know, and, and they would make sure that they did their Christianity really well. And it was almost like, I earn my own salvation. Well, we know that that's not true. And Paul spoke quite challengingly against the religious leaders and says, no, yes, we need to make decisions and look like Jesus in the way we live our lives. But, but grace and truth go hand in hand. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, needs to come up with a term to communicate what Jesus did when he was on earth, okay? Paul himself, we know his story, he's had an encounter with God. So this is my little summary of Paul's life so far. He was on a mission with permission to kill Christians. He had a collision, lost his vision, made the decision, changed his position, it was a major transition, yeah? But Paul had changed. He'd encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was now a new person. And he needed to come up with a term to communicate this amazing life that Jesus had lived, his death and his resurrection. What word is he going to pick? And he comes up with this word, gospel. Good news. Now, where did that term come from? Well, in that season in that empire, they used the word when a new emperor came to rule in that town, somebody would travel around the evangelon on a horse and they would say, good news, good news, there's a new emperor, pay your taxes to Caesar, pay your taxes to whoever, the laws have changed, everything is different now, good news. So Paul falls off his horse meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he thinks, I need a term to communicate this fantastic message of Jesus. I'm going to pick the most politically loaded word ever. Good news, good news. There's a new king and his name is Jesus Christ. You know, when we understand that, the good news, the gospel means so much more. It's a gospel of good news. And it doesn't just mean I believe some stuff. It doesn't just mean I do some stuff. No, it changes everything. And I take that with me wherever I go. It frees me from the law. It frees me and forgives me from everything that's gone before. I'm now a carrier of Christ. He's not just sitting in the passenger seat of the car. He's certainly not having a ride on the back seat. Jesus has taken control of my life. Of course I want to communicate him. Of course I want to take him with me wherever I go. You see, I think sometimes we've reduced evangelism to 
just one thing we put onto the list of what Christians do. No, Jesus has changed us, so therefore we allow that to spill out of our lives into everyone, everything, every situation we come into contact with. I want to encourage you this morning that you, everyone here, has been tasked with a mission. Secondly, I want to challenge you that if you're going to be effective in this mission that you've been tasked with, you need to continually be transformed by the master. Spend time in the presence of Jesus. Allow that new creation to form and make you everything that God has called you to be. But finally, we've been trusted with a message. You and I are good news carriers. And when we carry good news, it changes our agendas. It changes our Um, priorities. It might cost us our finances. It'll probably take up lots of our time. It might change our relationships with others, but we're called to carry the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Tasked with a mission, transformed by the master, trusted with a message. How are you taking and carrying the good news of Jesus where you go? Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment? I know it's warm in here this morning and maybe you're distracted with other things that are going on in your world at this time. But you know, we've been given the best news ever. News that's changed our lives. Somebody new is in control and transforming the person that we are. And we get to represent him in this world. So, Father, I just want to pray this morning for each person in this room. In the ordinary, everyday ways of life, God, I want to pray that we can be carriers of this good news message. Lord, when we have an opportunity to demonstrate you that we do that, when we have an opportunity to speak up for you that we do that, that the the Jesus who came from heaven to this earth, the Jesus who lived the perfect life and died a sacrificial death and came back to life, pours life into our lives so that we can live for him today. So God, help us to carry that message. Help us to be carriers of the good news of Jesus wherever we go. We ask that in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.